Welcome to the RG Podcast Network and the RG Business Navigate series. This podcast presents topical global business stories that affect Bermuda. Series host Shivani Seth interviews business leaders and experts in finance, insurance, reinsurance, risk, accounting, and other business services. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the RG Business Navigate series. I'm Shivani Sait and I'm your host. I'm excited today to welcome in to the studio Grania Richmond. Welcome, Grania. Thank you very much for having me, Shivani. Thank you, Grania. And I'd also like to thank Aon as our sponsor of this podcast. Grania is the Executive President and Head of Captives at Aon. So firstly, Grania, can I say congratulations on your new role at Aon? This is very Thank exciting. Thank you very much. Yeah, very, very excited to have joined Aon. Um, as folks should know, they're one of the top and largest uh, captive manager here in the, in the Bermuda domicile. Um, I'm joining an incredible team. Um, very lucky to be joining them, but um, also know that we do have work ahead of us, uh, ensuring that we maintain our client service to our very important stakeholders um, and also expanding that book of business. But uh, very, very, very happy to be joining that AON team. Yes. Um, and before I take that deep dive into mm-hmm. captive insurance, which is what this podcast is all about, sure. how about you tell me, Are you on, what are you on, day five in the day office? Day nine. Day nine. Day okay. nine. Day nine. Okay. Yep. So, <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about your role firstly. So f- first of all, my role, as I said, as head of captives, um, I have a team uh, reporting into me who service clients. Um, and looking after our over 110 uh, captive clients that we currently have here in Bermuda. So it's servicing them on the day-to-day insurance management basis. Um, on top of that, I'm also working with the commercial and the business development side to see what cross-networking or cross-services we can provide to our strong uh, client captive base. Servicing the clients, ensuring that they're aware of changes going on in the Bermuda regulations, um, but also being aware of what other um options are open to them within the client service uh, pool within Aon. Thank you. And I hope you're enjoying those stunning offices. Do you know it's some of the best coffee I've had <laughs> in the last two weeks has been from the Aon so offices. So Very, very, very <laughs> nice. But, you know, p- folks may think insurance manager in a nice office like that. I think it's important to show to our clients when they come down and visit Bermuda that we take them seriously and we take Bermuda serious. Um, and certainly the feedback from the clients I met down at the captive conference, uh, they really love coming to that uh, new Aon office now and meeting there. Yes. And I think that gives them great comfort that Aon takes everything very, very seriously. I'm sure it builds for a much stronger relationship. It does indeed. It does indeed. So I also note that you're the president of BEMA and also have a role on Bermuda Captive Network. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about both? Sure. So so there has been a change in the industry. Um, about three years ago, there was actually three organisations, the Bermuda Insurance Management Association. The which is BEMA. Which is BEMA, sorry. I should have said that. No problem. Um, I do get in trouble for using the acronym, so I've made a focus of spelling them out so people are aware. Uh, the Bermuda Captive Owners Association, which is also called BCOA, and Obviously, what we hosted last week was the Bermuda Captive Conference. Um, They were actually three separate organizations, three separate leads, three separate presidents. Um, I was uh, made president uh, in January 2020 of the of BEMA uh, and it was my second term as president and as everyone know COVID happened and uh, it took time it took the it gave us sorry it gave us an opportunity to step back and say why are we having three organizations Um, why don't we have one organization or 
what should we be doing within these organisations to change things. So we engaged um, with some service providers to do a strategy review. Um, and the long and short of it was that we did need to amalgamate and we did need to expand what we offer as a captive organisation. So uh, all those three organisations, which I'm currently president of okay. the BEMA, <laughs> will be rolling into the Bermuda Captive Network. And that, that actually launched uh, this week at the Captive Conference. Um, oh, okay. And the great thing about that is not just Bermuda service providers or captive owners, but we are opening it up to the global uh, captive uh, network. So we're really looking forward to that, to uh, to engage with that with our stakeholders overseas. So just to understand it, will BEMA still exist nope. or we're just nope. moving to nope. BCN? BEMA, Bermuda is BEMA BCOA and BCC are effectively amalgamating into the Bermuda Captive Network with okay. an expansion arm to overseas. Thank you for that clarity for me, no certainly. Okay, well, that's you've got a lot on your plate yes. and I wish you every success with that. Mm-hmm. So, so let's go a little step back and um, start talking about captives. Mm-hmm. So what is captive insurance exactly? So captive insurance um, is a term, the term captive was actually developed by Fred Rice over 60 years ago. Um, He set up the first, what we know today, first captive in Bermuda um, from the Ohio Steel Company. Um, He coined the term captive, and it's important that we understand this because people do say, why do we call it a captive? He coined it from the Youngstown Mines where they use the term captive mines and they're they used that term to state when they had the resources from the mines, they didn't distribute them, they kept them for themselves under their own control. So taking that understanding, he applied that term to what he created in Bermuda, which is called self-insurance effectively. But it's a company where you house your self-insurance and they use the term captive. So in, in simple terms, I remember when I moved to the island 21 years ago, somebody said it's it's no different than Coca-Cola. Rather than going out to the open marketplace to buy insurance, they created their own insurance company. It's their own related party risk. It's no different from anybody listening. If, uh, you know, if you wanted to get together with some of your friends that all own mopeds and you wanted to create your own little insurance company and you pool that risk rather than going to some of the, the very good carriers that we have here on island, again, that would be called a captive it's a limited purpose insurer's related party risk you don't go out and insure uh, your neighbor two doors down you're insuring yourself effectively okay well thank you for giving me ideas there now yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i know you mentioned earlier so perhaps a repeat but how many captives are in bermuda you said aon has 120 sure but but in bermuda in totality so there, there are some stats that i do like to quote and it's important bermuda actually has the availability of up to I think we're now up to 14 different types of licenses in Bermuda insurance licenses Um, you absolutely we have a huge big commercial sector here Um, at the end of 2021 we had about uh, 11 1200 insurance licensed entities in Bermuda of those what we call captives those limited purpose insurers we have 652 gosh yeah so it's it's a good bucket um, and then uh, We call those the limited purpose, but I really want folks to be aware that there's so much more outside of those limited purpose, but the captive industry did was the the kickstart to all of that. Also good to note um, in 2022, the number of registrations that we've had up to the end of August. Okay, yes. So we had 52 overall new registrations, but of those 14 
um, were in what we call the captive space. And if you compare that to 2021, at the end of 2021, we'd knew 17 new captives. That's so we're fantastic. already near that 17 goal mark. And we've been trending um, 12, 13, 17, 14 um, over the last three or four years. So it's okay. it's not the growth we saw in the 80s and 90s, but it's certainly good, sustainable and steady. growth. Yeah, yes. and steady growth. Um, so a question I often ask is, you know, uh, or perhaps this one related more to the captive insurance industry is why are most captive insurance companies domiciled offshore? Optically, that's what it seems like. So mm-hmm. do correct me if I'm wrong. So right now, as not to harbour on the point, we are in the 60 year anniversary as we see it as the captive that we know of today. There's now over 70 domiciles. They can. you can actually place a captive in and you're going, why is there 70 domiciles? There's different regulations and different legislation in each domicile. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different rules within in certain, certain lines of business in the States. You can only write it in the States. Um, and then you've got all other, I'm going to throw out a lot of terms that people um, may not understand, like the <laughs> Solvency 2 in Europe. Yes. Um, but there is the perception that uh, a lot of what we, what we term, I don't truly like using the word offshore, because we're okay. all offshore from each other. The U.S. is technically offshore from Europe. So, Fair point. You Fair know, point. You know, I, that, that's my little, uh, my little poke at, uh, at the U.S. <laughs> on that when they refer to us as offshore. Um, but Bermuda, Cayman, and Guernsey would be, to me, the three biggest offshore domiciles. And then we've got, you know, Vermont in, in the United yes. States. Within, Verm- within the U.S., I, I could be wrong. I think there's nearly up to about 20, 25 states in, in the US that now have uh, captive legislation. Okay. Um, so they, they do offer, as I said, different regulations, um, maybe different premium tax uh, across different jurisdictions. So there is that. What I think makes, you know, certainly Bermuda the more attractive domicile was, to create your I captive. Was just yes. about to ask that. How <laughs> do we set ourselves apart from other captives, captive we have, jurisdictions? We have unsurpassed talent here on the island okay. um, that really you know, from actuaries, auditors, insurance managers, um, right up to the access to the reinsurers and excess carriers. You know, we have a huge excess and reinsurance programs uh, here, and th- those captives do tap into that. So that that's first and foremost uh, the, the great talent that we have on the island. Okay. Second to that is we have a very pragmatic uh, regulator. As Mm -hmm. I said, we're up to, I believe, 14 different types of insurance licenses that you can get here on the island. And that really is the regulator listening to industry that one one size does not fit all. Okay. Um, And as we 13, so if a client comes here and they want to set up here or they want to, they've got a a slightly unique structure, well, then we can probably pick a different uh, license for them that enables them to be a bit more flexible and do business. So the the regulator is truly um, a huge uh, area that we can we can focus on for our clients and we can work with them. Industry meets with the regulator, if not monthly, every six weeks, not just on the captive side, but ABIR and Bielter yes, as well. And they're very open to having those discussions, very open to meet with our captive owners as well, should the need arise. Um, close proximity to the US. I know that may sound, you know, in today's world after COVID, but it really is a huge success um, having that close proximity to the US. We saw it at the captive conference, you know, a two hour flight from New York, two hour flight from Boston, yes. you know, a two hour flight from Miami. Hopefully those routes open 
open back up again uh, in the off season. But that's a huge selling factor as well for. We are for certainly very central here in Bermuda. Even yes. six and a half hours to London does not exactly, seem so far. Exactly. You know, and hopefully, you know, as as uh, traffic picks up, the the BA route will will add a couple of more nights, and that will certainly help our yes. help our London stakeholders to come back into Bermuda. So it's the talent, um, the access to that reinsurance insurance market, and again, the regulator is a huge huge bonus for us okay thank you so just through the research that I was doing on captives I wasn't so knowledgeable prior to this I'm I'm a little bit more knowledgeable (laughs) but I know you're going to fill me fully in today Um, I I note that there are three types of captive structures that actually exist so single parent captives third party captives and group captives could you tell me a little bit more about each of them and also what is the most common structure adopted here in Bermuda um, so I don't really like focusing on on the structures per se, but, but what you've said is, uh, I think you said third party. We, d- we tend not to put third party through okay. captives. There is a small 20%, but I think it's more the single parents, the group captives. Okay. Um, and then we have you know the, the segregated cell captives as well, which are kind of fall under that group captive uh, terminology. Right. Very simple, single parent captive is, is what it is. You have a captive that's owned by a corporation, um, either in the States, in Europe, um, and they're writing all their related party business. It could be auto liability, general liability, workers' comp property. They're putting that through. It's one ownership, um, and the underlying insurance, that's a single parent captive, and that's okay. generally a class one here in Bermuda. You move on to the group parent, ca- uh, the group captive structures. Again, that's multi-owners. It could be you know, trucking. Is, is a prime example. You could have right. a big trucking uh, fleet out of Canada and they pool together and create a group captive structure here in Bermuda to ensure workers comp ALGL. Um, and then, you know, they might be writing at deductibles and then reinsuring um, on the top end with, with a Bermuda carrier as well. So that's 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 the group captive structure. Okay. They don't all have to be homogeneous. They can, you know, you can have different, uh, you could have different maybe just middle market business owners in the States. Um, we have some captives that could be just based out of Wisconsin. Right. Um, the captive owners based out of Wisconsin, but they've created their own um, captive here in Bermuda, but they're all Wisconsin business owners. And that works really well. And again, you work with fronting carriers and you work with... Um, insurance providers on the end leading on to that is the what we'd call the cell structures and it's important to mention the cell structures because that can cover many areas for people that are not quite ready yet to get into that full either single parent captive or the large big group captive structures so that's a cell facility that's sometimes are mainly owned by the insurance manager and you come into a little cell it's slightly less cost but it's also a great way for you to understand how you know self-insuring truly works and ensuring that you are paying and controlling uh, your own money so they actually became quite there was quite a big uptick on those um, in the last two years in the hardening market um, that we saw. So that, that, to me, that's how I view the three different structures um, and depending on the number, the percentage of related business and un- versus unrelated would depend on your license class here in Bermuda. Okay, thank you. Does, was that helpful? Yes, entirely, actually. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I certainly negated third-party captives for now and focus the, on the so first so two. So <laughs> it's a bit of an oxymoron because you can't have a third-party captive. Okay. So that's uh, it's you write some third-party business, but right. if, you're, if you're a third-party licensed insurance carrier, you're commercial. Okay, yep. understood. Thank Good. you very much <laughs> for that clarity. So you've you know we you've mentioned a little bit about trends. So let me take a bit more of a deeper dive into mm-hmm. that. We've had a large large number of catastrophes over the last five years. 
coupled with the effects of social inflation, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously the rising costs of claims, and as a result, the insurance industry has responded by, naturally, increasing premium rates in what we describe as a hard market, Mm -hmm. as you just mentioned yourself a moment ago. So given this backdrop, what trends are you noticing within the captive industry Mm -hmm. globally? That's a really, really good question, and it was a big topic um, at the captive conference. Uh, okay. this week um, and Patrick Tannock with um, AXA XL did a very good um, overview of what was happening in the commercial space as you said social inflation mm-hmm. uh, capacity was reduced uh, pricing was increasing um, and on the flip side of that it really actually showed what we saw in the captive space there was a refocus on captive being part of that risk management solution Okay. Um, so whilst our, you know, our risk managers at the parent company were struggling, they weren't getting the rates and the levels of limits that they needed from the commercial carriers. The brokers were struggling trying to place um, some of these towers. It showed that the captive could step in because, again, this is your own insurance vehicle. The captive was able to step in and alleviate some of that uh, retention Okay. Uh, that we were having. So say you had a, a 500,000 property deductible, but the carrier is now only going to step in um, at a 2 million. Well, maybe the captive could cover some of that gap right. uh, with pricing through the, through, through the captive. And helping people with the cost. Exactly, and trying to keep that price that eventually gets passed on to the underlining insured. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we found, especially in MySpace, whilst it was a hard market, that that hard market does help the captive. It boosted uh, the industry a little bo- bit more. Boosted the industry a, lo- a lot more. Um, and also, you know, we're in an ever-changing world and leading on to the hardening market, we just have so many more new risks that are uninsured. Yes. Yes. Um, and leading on to that, it proved that the captive could step into certain different areas and lines of risk and that proved very helpful. There is other one other thing in the hardening market that did prove very helpful because as we know the last two years, two and a half years, we the hardening market coupled with COVID. Yes. And some people, um, especially in the medical malpractice area, if Bermuda is known for ensuring that its captives do, whilst there's a minimum capital insolvency, um, with all the expert expertise in the captive space here, a lot of the captives are more than adequately uh, capitalized and solvent. And in the med mal space, where hospitals in the US uh, needed cash flow, um, there was some payback to the parents uh, from those very healthy captives. Okay. So it was a really nice and positive way for captives to support the parent entity um, as they were struggling yes, um, on cash flow requirements or supporting risk management grants um, as they, as they I, I'm not quite fond of the term still anymore, <laughs> as they had to pivot. Okay. Um, and, you know, emergency rooms and operating theatres became a very different, uh, different operation yes. uh, in the two years of covid Okay, no, it's very interesting to see how the captive industry is actually it get, going through some growth, reawakened and there's growth. Yes. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so continuing a little bit with these trends, so I'd like to understand how the changes in the global tax landscape have impacted the Bermuda, the Bermuda captive industry. Um, should I touch upon politics here? In particular, the Trump administration introduced significant tax reforms how did the cap- Bermuda captive industry react to this? So first and foremost, the Bermuda captive industry, along with every other uh, organisation here in Bermuda, does keep a close watch on what's happening uh, with US tax yes. and also what's happening in Europe um, with the OECD and economic substance. So we do keep our finger on the pulse. Uh, we're very fortunate here to have some really good tax advisors um, with okay. within the audit firms and just independent tax advisors that we work closely with. 
But I would like to remind our audience that tax is not the main reason that you set up a captive here in Bermuda. Right. As I said, it's that control of your risk. It's the strong regulation and it's the strong legislation and the talent pool that we have here. Having said that, we would be very naive to think that when there's a change, um, whether it's coming through uh, the prior administration. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that terminology. <laughs> the prior administration or the current administration, we have to respond the w- one area that um, I would ask people to focus on is that there are there is an option uh, for a captive to be elected as a taxpayer in the US, and it's called the 953D election. Okay. So the tax regimes that are changing, if you have a 953D election, it truly doesn't impact um, your captive um, to the extent that you would expect expect it to impact because it's already considered a taxpayer in the US. Right. So so that, that that's that's one thing that we've always uh, told our clients that you know if you've a 953d election you're already a taxpayer so you, you will not be as impacted to the, to the level. You've also taken into that as I mentioned in the hospital space a lot of the parent companies are not for profit organizations. Mm-hmm. So again um, the, the the organization here is falls under that not-for-profit reporting. Um, again, not the huge impact that we would have seen. Yes. Some of the new legislation that's coming down through the OECD, there is um, limits, so it doesn't impact you unless your global sales or your, glo- your global um, revenue um, exceeds a certain threshold. So we will see that some of those smaller captives of that, those smaller middle market uh, parent companies will also not be impacted by these tax okay. regimes. There are entities and will be entities that will be impacted, but it's part of a bigger discussion. It's not just a Bermuda discussion. You've got global entities that have locations around the world. Right. Um, so you will see impact. I have not heard of a lot of companies redomiciling because of any tax legislation. Right, yes. Normally, if they're redomiciling, it's to do with a decision at the parent company to just not be um, in a global uh, jurisdiction. Okay. It's not truly a tax decision. Having said that, my advice to anybody out there, if you have questions, please ensure you engage with your tax advisor. That's what they're there for. If you hear of something that you think may impact your parent company, pick up the phone and talk to your parent company um, to ensure that they're aware of what's happening, uh, not just in the US, but obviously in Europe as well. Okay, thank you. You mentioned about the pandemic earlier and what it has done in terms of the medical field. Mm -hmm. Has the pandemic raised any unexpected issues that the captive industry now needs to tackle post-pandemic? It's a very good question. I was thinking, you know, because we're, in my opinion, I'm not sure if we are truly out of the pandemic Yes, that's a, so, that's so, a very so good question. Um, but what I have, what I've seen first and foremost is there does seem to be on a positive side. There seems to be a, a greater collaboration uh, amongst industries um, in Bermuda. Um, no more so like the captive network now engaging with Abir, which um, yes. is really the commercial arm, and Bealter, um, re-engaging with ABIC, who have a very large voice, and then having more conversations with the BMA and the ROC. And I think. Start, some of that started because we couldn't travel, we couldn't go anywhere, so right. you ended up on a lot of Zoom and Teams calls. So to me, that was a positive. So it's more a strategy. It was, uh, yeah, planning it, and strategy I think management. It took time. It took. It gave people the opportunity to really leverage the talent that we have here in Bermuda. Okay. On the flip side of that, it's now we are in this inverted commas post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's retaining that talent. 
And that's what I find is a big challenge in the captive industry at the moment. Okay. Um, people are reassessing, you know, do they want to be in this business? Do they want to be in insurance or in the captive insurance? It probably right. isn't as sexy as it, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as it once was. Um, so it's retaining that talent. Um, the other challenge now with COVID, um, coming out of COVID, but also um, global matters that we're dealing with, the way we hired and the way we brought people on and who we hired has changed. And I think organizations really need to open their mind to a diversity of talent. So tell me a little bit more about that. Sounds interesting. Well, how, how is it I, changed? I, I mentioned it at the conference. When I came to Bermuda and, and joined International Advisory Services 21 years ago, I can safely say 99% of us at International Advisory Services were qualified accountants. Okay. And that is a still a very important part of the insurance management framework. Right. But what I'm liking and what I'm seeing now, and I really would encourage businesses to do it, is I'm seeing outside qualifications, outside of the the, 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 accountancy, the, the, the traditional accountants. And I see what I see is people who have the accountancy qualifications getting different skills and a different mindset um, and engaging in different topics so, so that they bring, bring more, more to, to the, the table. table. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So we're seeing parent company boards change. It's no longer, uh, you, know, you know, people in their 60s and 70s making decisions in vacuums. You're seeing, you know, more women on boards. Okay. Uh, you're seeing a diverse talent and a diverse educational background sitting on those boards. So if the parent company boards are changed, we within the service industry and the captive business here um, also need to change. And I see the brokers are doing that now as well. Um, you know, I think <laughs> I think uh, you, you've got young kids yourself. I'm sure the the jobs they will go into, you and I will not comprehend that that is actually a possible job to have. Yes, I think it, the world is a lot more creative now. A lot more creative, and I just hope that we, as the insurance industry, roll with that creativity because I think it'll bring a lot more solutions to our clients in the long run. Interesting. Way. Yeah. Thank you. So finally, Grania, this has mm -hmm. been a very interesting podcast indeed. I'd like to look to the future and the outlook of the Bermuda captive industry. Uh, you've mentioned in several different ways what happened at the captive mm -hmm. conference. Are there any insights that you could share from this 18th, I note, Bermuda captive conference um, as it's just drawn to a close? What were the te what are what are the key takeaway points? Um, we haven't even touched upon ESG strategy or green captives. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about the future. Yeah, so I think feeding into the ESG strategy is that diversity of talent. So, okay. so that does feed into it. But ESG, there was a the um, Aon did moderate um, an ESG panel, and it did gave it gain a lot of traction because you know, ESG is a global matter so it should be impacting the captive so that really was a good theme but I also found that ESG cropped up in every other panel discussion at yes. some point which I feel is so needed um, and part of that ESG as it relates to underwriting is as we're seeing is the climate risk and climate change so captives that are just writing property coverage they're going to be impacted by ESG through rising water levels yes. areas being flooded that never got flooded before areas getting hurricanes that never got hurricanes before so whilst people i want people to be aware that esg impacts us all yes it may you don't have to have this esg specific focus but you need to be aware the elements of esg that eventually will impact your underwriting um, and not not to harper on but part of the esg was quite clear that um, when we heard from am best and we heard from the regulator that governance like AM Best regulation now, if you have a rated captive, they will be looking at your ESG program. 
Okay. So it's really, really important that we do take ESG, and it was it was a big topic. Topic. Um, another big topic that came out of the conference was fronting and collateral. Okay. Um, there was actually two separate panels covering from the fronting and captive owners perspective and then from the, the banks and the investment advisors who provide the collateral. So that was a big topic that, that came out as well. We obviously also celebrated the 60 years of captives and we were very um, very privileged to have a very strong panel on that as well. So, so that was very nice. Um, cyber was mentioned. Yes. Uh, c- cyber lot, is always going to be Especially during the pandemic, during anyway. the pandemic, yeah. But so I feel like it's highlighted cyber risk in a very. It, it has, and it's 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 made um, cyber not so much on claims being written through the captive, but the captive being part of that whole program to ensure you get to that carrier that can not just cover the loss but give you advice on how to prevent that loss. Okay. Or if a hack occurs, what steps you need to ma- need to take into account. And I know there's a there's a tech summit coming up that will be dealing with a lot of not just covering the loss, yes. but getting yourself protected for that loss. So cyber was a was a big topic. Um, there's one that always kind of, I don't know why, and I, I giggle when I say it, is cannabis. Okay. <laughs> I need to giggle. It's very important. It's very important, but cannabis, especially out of Canada, we've seen a right. lot of growth yes. there. Yes. Um, and D&O um, came up as well. So so the, to me, there were the, the, B3, the big three topics that, that were, were okay. prevalent throughout the, the conference. Um, but outside of that, it was quite clear that for Bermuda to remain successful for the next 18 years, okay. <laughs> um, uh, we really need to ensure diversity of talent, uh, engagement with the regulator, right, um, and, and just ensuring that it is sound underwriting that's still going through these captives. And we've seen that's how the captive industry has survived by not... Uh, not taking uh, surplus capital too soon away from that captive back to the parent company, but that's sound regulation and sound management from uh, from firms such as Aon. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for coming on today. Thank you've you for having me. <laughs> yes, thank you. You've provided an amazing summary of the captive insurance industry. I, hope I feel so, hope so. I feel very knowledgeable. Uh, it certainly sounds like the future has a lot of growth and wishing you every success in your new role once again. Thank you so much and thank you for all your support. <laughs> and I'd like to, uh, well, I've been your host today, Shivani Sate, and thank you, Grania Richmond, for coming on and thank you to Aon for being the sponsor of this podcast. You've been listening to the RG Podcast Network and the RG Business Navigate series with host Shivani Sate. Check the Royal Gazette for the next episode. Thank you for listening.